Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. Welcome back to another episode of the Understanding Body Matters Podcast. On today's episode, it is a topic that we've really, really wanted to touch on in one of our episodes that someone really passionate about this topic would be able to touch on and we have brought in Ashley Olive who is talking on all things to do with exercise addiction. So we talk about the relationship between eating disorders and exercise. How does one know whether they might have an exercise addiction? What the relationship might look like between eating disorders and over-exercising as well as when excessive exercise may become problematic. Now there are a number of different topics that provide a lot of detailed information and I think would be really useful for not only those struggling but also carers who may have someone struggling from an eating disorder or even a friend and they don't know how to go about that as well as the support that might be available to them. So if you would like to listen please stay tuned. So hi Ashley welcome to the Understanding Body Matters podcast. We are very very excited to speak with you today especially on all things to do with exercise addiction one of the many topics that you are very passionate about as well. So welcome. Thank you so much as you said I'm very passionate about this space so really feeling quite privileged and to be honest quite excited to be invited to be on your podcast today so thank you very much. Good so just to get to know our guests a bit more, we do ask a challenge that you have found recently or faced recently and how you have overcome that. Is there a challenge that you were willing to share? Oh, look, that's a good question. The first thing that comes to mind, and look, I know it doesn't quite compare to what uh, Melbourne and New South Wales have been going through this year, but I think the ongoing COVID concerns and the recent lockdown in Brisbane has really posed quite a challenge and um, I'm sure like many others I'm still figuring out how to overcome it but in recent weeks it's genuinely just made me reflect on I guess what my values are and um, really prioritizing the simple treasures in life and connecting with others so um, an ongoing challenge that I haven't quite navigated but that's where I'd be at at the moment. Definitely I think the one good thing out of this is it's allowed people to take a step back I guess and just kind of be grateful for the little things they can enjoy, especially while in lockdown. But hopefully all of Australia and the world, I guess, is hopefully coming out of the end of it soon. But who knows? Hopefully. And I guess we're all in this together. So yes. um, I think reassuring in a way as well. Yeah, definitely. So to jump in, I thought we'd ask, how does one, I guess, know when they have an exercise addiction? Because it can be there can be quite a broad line between when someone might know or think they do, but how does one know whether they might have that addiction? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a really important one as well, when exercise is typically perceived in society as healthy, right? Yeah. Um, so I think before I speak to the idea of exercise addiction, I think it's important to preface that there are there's actually lots of different terms, not just within society, but also within the literature that are often used quite interchangeably mm-hmm. uh, regarding maladaptive or problematic exercise. So sometimes we might hear things like compulsive or exercise driven exercise or exercise dependence or exercise addiction Um, so I suppose for the purpose of today I'm going to refer to it as dysfunctional exercise as this term is 
reflective as well of a client's mindset around exercise or in other words the function that exercise plays um, or the quality of their exercise so I've gone a bit of a bit of a tangent but to get back to your question um, exercise becomes dysfunctional when it starts to interfere with our day-to-day -day functioning so we can look at this in a few different areas it can be dysfunctional if it interferes with someone's physiological function so perhaps it's contributing to fatigue uh, increased injuries or more severe symptoms associated with medical stability it can be dysfunctional on more of a psychosocial level so this might be when exercise starts to come at the expense of spending time with family or friends or loved ones or if it starts taking away from time that one traditionally would have spent on pleasurable hobbies or interests, for example. And then, of course, there are some psychological indicators of dysfunctional exercise. So some characteristics that would prompt some red flags from my perspective um, would be when exercise starts to be particularly rigid or dictated by rules, or if there's a really narrow sort of allowance of what one will allow themselves to do with exercise, if they're punishing themselves, if they're pushing through injury or illness to keep exercising. Um, and then the one that I see quite a lot, which, which people don't always recognise as problematic, but using exercise as an avoidance strategy. So to avoid emotions or feelings of guilt or anxiety, as an example. So I, I think there would be some of the, the symptoms or characteristics that would um, really start to indicate that it's interfering with someone's functioning. Mm, definitely. I think it is a lot more common than many people do think, especially with that last yeah. point that you had when um, it becomes an avoidant, something that people, I guess, try to do to avoid how they are feeling, which I feel I know personally a lot of people that probably have done that a lot and do do that a lot just to avoid those kind of feelings they don't want to be feeling at the time but it's definitely a very good point yeah absolutely mm. so the next question I had would be kind of the relationship that what that relationship might look like or what is the relationship between eating disorders and over exercising because as many people know it is it does definitely contribute to an individual suffering from an, an eating disorder so are you happy to just provide, I guess, what that relationship is between overexercising and eating disorders? Yeah, yeah. Again, good question. And I'm sure as many of um, your listeners would be aware, there's, we've got different types of eating disorders and different types of eating disorder behaviours that can feature as part of someone's eating disorder. So um, I suppose as an example, for many people, a fear of weight gain underlies their eating disorder. And then as a result, they might engage in restriction of their intake or engage in exercise as a means to control their body weight or if restriction results in binge eating because they're understandably quite hungry then exercise may be used as a, a method of purging to compensate for intake. Um, what's actually quite interesting is that the evidence shows that a majority of people with an eating disorder also have an unhealthy or dysfunctional relationship with exercise. Uh, so one of the statistics that's almost recently was about 80%. So it's actually oh, wow. really quite a large percentage of our people, right? Mm. Uh, and, and what's also interesting is that in terms of an eating disorder trajectory, dysfunctional exercise is often one of the first symptoms that someone may notice of an eating disorder. And mm -hmm. unfortunately also one of the, the last to resolve through recovery. Oh, really? So 
Yeah. So I guess in essence, like when, when I reflect on that, it just highlights like how crucial the exercise is actually acknowledged. It's investigated, it's considered mm. um, by someone who has an eating disorder in their treatment team. Cause then I suppose from there, we've got all the additional uh, medical and psychological risk that comes along um, with exercise in addition to already having an eating disorder where there's already quite a risk. So definitely. Yeah, it's really, really important piece of the eating disorder puzzle and um, one that's really important we investigate to support someone's longer term recovery as well. Definitely. I think especially now with COVID, it, I know a lot of people suffering from an eating disorder, they do rely on gyms, on exercise that they can access, mm-hmm. even if that's personal training or whatnot. So it, it definitely does have an impact on individuals psychologically if that is taken away from them as well, which could have a massive impact on their recovery journey, I feel like, which I feel a lot of people don't, well, those who may not be suffering from eating disorder wouldn't really clearly understand or I guess see that happening. But for someone that like us that do work in eating disorder field, when that is taken away from many individuals that do rely on that, whether that's at a specific hour of the day when it does become, I guess, a, I don't want to use the word addiction, but where they want to keep doing it at that same time, same hour, they have that routine but it's disrupted by COVID all the time, especially when we have no idea when this will end. It just, it just really shows how much, especially with that 80% you said, which I had no idea. It's mind blowing how big that percentage is. Absolutely. And I think that's a nice reflection, reflection, right? For those of us who don't have an eating disorder, it's, it's hard enough in COVID to have some of these Mm -hmm. um, parts of our day-to-day taken away. And then, yeah, as you said, if someone's got an eating disorder and exercise is quite a ritual or, um, uh, you know, an, an important part of their eating disorder formulation, like this is a, a whole extra level of challenge that they're having to deal with. So yeah. It's tough. I know. Fingers crossed all of this COVID stuff does put an end to it, but it's, I definitely think COVID has had a massive strain on many people yeah. with not just eating disorders, but all mental health illnesses. So it does put a lot of things in perspective for us all. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the other question I had was, I guess, when does excessive exercise become problematic? Because like I said, I know many of us would know people who probably exercise quite frequently, but I guess it's trying to find that line on when it does become problematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that ties a little back to you know, what I was talking about earlier with when it starts to interfere with an individual's functioning, Mm -hmm. when it's really starting to get in the way of, you know, school, social, um, work commitments, if it's, you know, interfering with someone's general mental health or psychological health, if they're, you know, feeling maybe particularly low, if they're not able to go out and exercise, um, if it's, just affecting their mood if they're becoming really rigid Um, and of course you know first and foremost and one I should have mentioned first really is if it's affecting their physical health if they're experiencing symptoms that would indicate that their body's not functioning in a way that's healthy like that's obviously our our biggest red flag so I always come back to if it's interfering with your functioning um, that's that's when it really starts to become problematic and concerning and it can be really challenging to tell like when particularly when exercise is you know and it is healthy when it's done in the right way and we as a society I think 
you know, we see it everywhere, don't we? Like exercise is important for your well-being and health, which it is. But um, there's a point where I suppose there's a bit of a ceiling effect. There's a point where it's no longer effective or functional. It can yeah. be problematic. Um, so, yeah, if it's interfering with functioning, that's the big red flag from my perspective. Definitely. So I guess I kind of just wanted to ask whether what resources and support I know there's a number of our listeners that are maybe clients of ours, but if it is specifically dysfunctional exercise, what support is available for someone who might be suffering from that? Yeah, really important question. Um, I guess I, I'll, I'll step it. I'll step it back to begin with. I suppose if someone's listening to this and they're not quite sure if their relationship with exercise is healthy or not, yeah. uh, what I'd really encourage is almost practicing a mindfulness exercise um, the next time that you're planning to exercise. So prior to, during or after your exercise. So I know, let's say you're going out for a couple of laps at the pool this afternoon, do a quick check-in and really non-judgmentally observe, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's driving me to exercise right now? And if you notice that you're exercising to change your body or to avoid maybe feeling guilty, and this is a this is an indicator that things aren't quite right. And I suppose if if you sort of notice that, or you're someone who already recognises maybe you don't have the most helpful relationship with exercise, as always, I say check in with your GP first. And this is just to ensure first and foremost that you're safe. That's that's our biggest priority. And then from there, um, getting support to engage with mental health care professionals so that you can be guided to guide with support to develop a more healthy relationship with exercise it's Mm -hmm. it's a space that it's really important that you actually engage a multidisciplinary treatment team around you so that you've got collaborative uh, support so yeah I guess to summarize there GP mental health care professional um, and and go from there and I suppose in the long term what I'd be encouraging people to do is really just reflect on like what are the guiding values that you'd like to underlie the reason for your engagement in exercise do you want it to be fun do you want it to be enjoyable social uh, adventure based is it about connecting with your body or others or nature and then from there so it's a bit of a challenge to just curiously explore new and different forms of exercise or movement that perhaps meet these values more um, than dysfunctional exercise currently is Mm. And make it a bit more enjoyable rather than a punishment, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I think definitely mindfulness is becoming such a massive, I guess, massive role in many individuals' life, including therapy as well. I feel like I'm hearing more and more about it now than I have ever before, especially during COVID. But it does make the biggest difference when you just take that tiny step back, whether that's just standing outside well, like breath work, I've heard like done heaps of research about recently, and it's amazing what that impact can have on an individual. Um, but I definitely think even if you are in lockdown and you're listening to this now, that mindfulness plays such a big role in someone's day, especially if you're just locked inside and you are stuck inside and can't do anything. But I guess there are a number of different support available. I guess that brings me into my last question, which was where can individuals or our listeners, um, I guess, find you? Okay, so I work in a private practice up in, in Brisbane. It's called True North Psychology uh, in Brisbane. So you can find that in Google. Um, this is obviously the population that I'm so passionate about helping on a day-to-day and they make up majority of my caseload. So 
um, of course, people are more than um, more than welcome to reach out or if, you know, if there's other professionals who are just interested to have a chat about this topic, I, to be honest, I nerd out on it quite a lot. So um, happy to happy to chat further so, so that we can all learn more together and hopefully make a difference in this space. It's so, so important. Mm. Um, I think, unfortunately, a bit um, understated at times as, as how important it is. So, yeah, yeah. please feel free to reach out. Definitely. Well, thank you. We thank you for joining us on our episode today. I learned quite a lot, especially between that relationship between eating disorders and over-exercising. Um, but I have no doubt that those listening will also get or gain some insight on what that might be, especially if they know someone who might be suffering from an eating disorder, but not really understanding the ins and outs of, I guess, the exercise part of it, if that is playing a large role in um, their struggles as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope that we could probably maybe have you on another episode in the future as well. Thank you so much for your time. It's, it's been quite a privilege. So thank you very much and, and all the best. So as you may have heard, we had such detailed and informative answers to many of those questions that I did ask Ashley, and it is such an important conversation to have and for many other individuals to understand because many individuals might not accept or understand that their behaviors may necessarily have eating disorder traits. So it is really informative topic and we really hope that you enjoyed. If you did enjoy, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and we would love to share that review with everyone. As well as if there's any other topics that you might want covered in an episode, please feel free to email podcast at bodymatters.com.au and we'll be sure to include this in the next episode. So we'll see you in two weeks time.